Hi guys. Hey. Good to see ya. Yeah, well, we uh, said at the beginning of this series on Genesis that Genesis chapter 1 is describing uh, the building of a temple, that the creation was really a building of a temple, a heaven meets earth place where God himself, the creator, wants to come and dwell. And that theme of God coming and dwelling with his people runs like a golden thread through the whole of Genesis. In other words, the story isn't just about uh, God making promises from a distance about what he's going to do for Abraham, giving him a land, giving him a great nation, and through him all families of the earth being blessed. It's not just that God gives these promises, it's also that God comes and dwells with his people as he gives them them his promises. And in Genesis 28 to 35 that we're looking at today, we see this theme of God's presence more strongly than we've seen it so far. So let's look at Jacob's ladder, Genesis 28 to 35. In Genesis 28, Jacob is fleeing from his brother Esau. We saw last week Jacob cheats his brother Esau and deceives his father Isaac and manages to get the blessing. Esau, his brother, is furious and wants to kill Jacob. So Jacob has to flee Haran to Haran to his mother's homeland and Haran would be He would have gone through Aleppo on the way to get there, which is interesting. Um, And you might think, well, too bad for Jacob. Now he's out of the story. But then something extraordinary happens to Jacob. And what happens, happens not because Jacob is a great moral hero that God blesses. Far from it. He's the opposite of a moral hero It's all about God's grace. Um, It's all about God reaching down and doing something radically new. It's all about what happened at the end of Genesis chapter 11 in that whole crisis and catastrophe of humanity gathering together to make a tower that reached up to heaven and the arrogance of that Uh, And what God does is, he says, okay, I'm going to choose a childless nomad, Abraham. And now he's choosing Jacob, who is the younger son, not the eldest, and who is a cheat and a deceiver. So God, through his grace, is going to do a new thing through these people who are not morally good. Uh, And so when Jacob is running away from Esau, this extraordinary thing happens. (laughs) Uh, He's going towards Haran, which is where he'll ultimately end up. And he comes somewhere, it says, and stays for the night because the sun has gone down. And he takes one of the stones in that place. And this is Genesis 28, verse 11. 
and he puts the stone under his head for a pillow and he goes to sleep <laughs> and he has a dream and in this dream there's this ladder that goes from earth up to heaven and there are angels ascending and descending on this ladder and remarkably verse 13 the Lord stood beside him I think the Lord is actually at the bottom of the ladder standing beside where Jacob is sleeping and he says I am the Lord the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac I will give you and your descendants this land on which you are lying Jacob thought oh this is just a random place <laughs> to lie down for the night your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and then this echoes Genesis 12 all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and through your offspring which we know of course ultimately is going to be Jesus and then God goes further and God says I am with you this phrase I am with you resonates on through the whole of the Old Testament again and again and again the Lord is with you don't be afraid do not fear for I am with you the Lord is with Joshua the Lord is with David God's project goes ahead because God is with his people making it happen not that they will go and be with him but that he comes so that he can be with them I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land I will not leave you I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised you Wow that is some dream <laughs> and Jacob wakes from his sleep verse 16 and he says these wonderful words surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it of course heaven and highest heaven cannot contain the Lord of glory much less this place but Jacob's ladder unlike the Tower of Babel which was humanity's attempt to reach up to God Jacob's ladder is the ladder by which God has come down to be with us and the angels ascending and descending on this ladder um, <clears throat> mean that there's this to and fro traffic <laughs> between heaven and earth that heaven and earth are linked there's a gateway between heaven and earth uh, God wants heaven and earth to be linked as a foretaste of that day when heaven and earth will finally be one in John 1 47 Jesus says that you will see the angels ascending and descending on me in other words Jesus ultimately will be the gateway between heaven and earth and he will come again and finally heaven and earth will be married together once and for all in the new creation of all things 
And in advance of that, God comes to be with Jacob here to assure him. And Jacob is afraid and he says, verse 17, how awesome is this place? (laughs) This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And so he rises in the morning, takes the stone which he'd been laying on, sets it up as a pillar, pours some oil over it to consecrate it to God. Um, And he calls the place Bethel, which means house of God. And that word Bethel is just going to ring through the whole story of God now. This is the house of God, uh, the place where God, the God who fills heaven and earth, has come to especially dwell with his people. Um, And Jacob makes a promise and it's a prayer. And it's the sort of prayer that you'd expect Jacob, the deceiver, the cheat, the liar, to make. And he's trying to do a deal with God, actually, I think, even after this amazing experience. If God will be with me and will watch over me on my journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household. In other words, so that when I come back, Esau won't kill me. If that's the case, then the Lord will be my God. So he's kind of laying down conditions. (laughs) And then he says, okay, if that happens, then the Lord will be my God. Oh my goodness, Jacob. You don't realise how blessed you are that the Lord has allowed you to be the one who is the bearer of the blessing, the bearer of the promises of God. And then he says, Then this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Well, good for you, Jacob. At least that's a start. (laughs) Uh, But the main theme of this story is God coming to be with his people. And Jacob recognising in his flawed and ungrateful way, cool, (laughs) God is with me, now I can go forward. So in chapter 29, Jacob arrives in the land from which his mother had come, Haran, and he comes to a well in a field and here comes Rachel, who turns out to be Jacob's uncle's, Laban's daughter. And it's love at first sight. And whereas his mother, Rebecca, if you remember in the story, his mother, Rebecca, came to meet Abraham's servant at a well. Rebekah watered the animals. Here, Jacob waters the animals for Rachel. It's the reverse. I think that's cool. Uh, Such is his love for her immediately, I think. And Rachel's father, Laban, is even more of a cheat than Jacob. He makes Jacob work for seven years for Rachel. And when those seven years are up, Laban gives Jacob Leah, Rachel's oldest sister, instead. Jacob doesn't find out until the morning after the wedding. Wow. And he demands an explanation. (laughs) And Jacob says, oh, silly me, I forgot to tell you that we have a custom that, oh, yes, um, you can marry my younger daughter, but first you have to marry 
the older daughter. But if you work for another seven years, I'll give you Rachel as well. And so Laban deceives Jacob by switching Leah for Rachel on Jacob's wedding night. It's after all the festivities and the drinking and it's dark and she would have had a veil on. So Jacob is blind to this. In other words, Laban does to Jacob what Jacob did to his blind father, Isaac. Uh, Jacob switches brothers to take advantage of the blindness of his father. Laban switches sisters in the darkness of night behind a veil. Jacob is reaping what he has sown. So Jacob agrees to work for another seven years for Rachel. And Jacob loves Rachel more than Leah. And there's a lot of pain both for Leah and for Rachel in this story. Leah is unloved, but she can have children. Rachel is loved, but she can't have children. And Rachel and Leah are jealous of one another and competing with each other to have children through their handmaidens. And Rachel struggling to overcome her sister in having children mirrors Jacob struggling to overcome his brother Esau for the blessing. And so Jacob is reaping what he sowed. And between them they have 11 sons. The 12th will come later. (laughs) And God graciously gives Leah six sons, including the priestly line of Levi and the messianic line of Judah from which Jesus himself will come. She's unloved, but God sees her pain and blesses her richly. And finally, God graciously gives Jacob a son, Joseph, which means God has remembered. And Laban keeps changing Jacob's wages They do another deal. Jacob will have the spotted and speckled animals, which are rarer. Laban will have the rest. (laughs) And the spotted and speckled animals do miraculously well due to Jacob's clever manipulating of the flocks. But then later Jacob acknowledges that actually God was blessing him. And so at the end of 14 years, Jacob has all these sons and he has this great wealth, uh, this great family and Laban is jealous because Jacob, uh, Jacob is prospering more than Laban. And so in chapter 31, Jacob decides it's time to go. And in 31, 4 to 16, he appeals to his wives Uh, It's important to Jacob that his wives agree to come. Remember how Rebecca had to agree to come back and marry Isaac, uh, Jacob's mother, Rebecca. And now, before Jacob brings the whole family back to the promised land, the wives have to agree. And so he tells them, you can be sure that God is with me. Uh, He's before me and behind me. This is the great theme of this whole section. 
God is with me. We can trust him. And he's called me back to the land from which I came. And Jacob's faith is starting to come through in this story, isn't it? Wow. And it's because God has just been so gracious to Jacob that he's beginning to put more and more faith in God. And his wives agree and they dash off with the whole family and their flocks and herds and Laban follows and is threatening them but an angel of the Lord says, do not touch Jacob. And so Jacob runs away from Laban just as he'd run away from Esau. But now he's between the one and the other. And now he's coming back and he will inevitably meet Esau, his twin brother. What will happen? Jacob has been in some tight spots. This is now going to be the tightest. And just as angels met him on the way out of the promised land, so angels meet him on the way in. And they are evidence of God's promise. I am with you. Genesis 32 verse 1, Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And I'm thinking, please narrator, tell us more than that. What happened? What did it look like? What did they say? (laughs) But it doesn't. Uh, And Jacob saw them and he calls the place Mahanaim, which means the camp. Uh, And he says, this is God's camp. And Jacob sends messages ahead to Esau. And he addresses Esau as my Lord. He's laying down the rivalry that he's had with Esau. And he's approaching Esau now with humility. He's no longer trying to manipulate his brother. He's just trusting God. He humbles himself and he throws himself at the mercy of Esau so that Esau will forgive his cheating brother. And the messages come back saying Esau is coming with 400 men. And in verse 7, Jacob is greatly afraid. He's distressed. So Jacob divides his livestock and servants into two groups, um, saying if Esau attacks one of these groups, the other can flee. And then Jacob prays. Notice that. This is the first time that Jacob prays. Took a long time, didn't it? Jacob actually prays. And he says, God of my father Abraham and Isaac, I am unworthy of your kindness and your faithfulness. You have promised to make our descendants as numerous as the sand in the sea. Please spare me and my children and their mothers from the hand of Esau. His self-confidence has vanished. He comes in weakness and lowliness. He calls himself your servant when he addresses God. And he asks God, to save him 
And that night he sends some servants ahead with 550 goats, ewes, rams, camels, donkeys, cows and bulls in different groups one at a time. These are gifts for Esau that will arrive one group at a time so that Esau's heart will be softened one step at a time. And verse 22, the same night, Jacob sends his wives and their handmaidens and his children across the ford of the Jabok River, which is just here. And um, he sends all his possessions across the stream. And Jacob is left alone. And it says, a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And it turns out that this is God himself appearing to Jacob in human form. This is another theophany, as we've seen before. And this is the climax of Jacob's life. And this is like later in the story of God, when God attacks Moses at night to prepare Moses spiritually for the dangerous meeting that he will have with Pharaoh. Here God is preparing Jacob spiritually for his encounter with Esau. And the first thing to realise is that God is with Jacob. God does not leave Jacob alone to face Esau. But unexpectedly and mysteriously, God attacks Jacob. And there's this wrestling match. And the most amazing thing is that this God-man cannot overpower Jacob. And this highlights the great strength and determination of Jacob. And this kind of reminds me of myself. Sometimes I can be so strong-willed And I won't let God overcome me on certain issues. I will have my way. And in our lives, we're wrestling with God. And he wants us to let go and do his will rather than what we want to do. And to trust him in that thing. But our wills will not be broken. We will not yield. If you've ever been in that situation with God, I certainly have. And we won't let go. Our wills will not be broken. But then there's God's severe mercy, as author C.S. Lewis puts it. God touches Jacob. Uh, at the very point of his strength. He touches his hip, which is a wrestler's pivot point of strength, and he dislocates Jacob's hip. And Jacob is physically broken. He's physically weakened. And God will do this to us sometimes. 
at the very point of our strength, our strength that we're relying on, he will disable us. Um, in this case, despite being physically dislocated in his hip, Jacob will not let go. Jacob still holds on. He's clinging to God. All he can do now is cling. He can do nothing else because his hip is out of joint. He's greatly weakened. So he just hangs on to God. He's going to prevail with God through prayer alone. And God says, let go of me. And Jacob says, I will not until you bless me. Jacob knows that this isn't just a man, or at least he suspects it, that this is God himself. And he won't let go until God blesses him. And what's happening is that Jacob's strength is being transformed into something good. He will now not let go of God, no matter what. The implication for us is whatever our struggles in life, don't let go of God. Hang on to him in prayer through the crisis of your life. Jacob boldly clung to God for the blessing. He prevails through prayer, not through his own natural strength. And the man says to Jacob, what's your name? And he says, it's Jacob, which means he who grasps his brother by the heel and tramples all over him. That kind of idea. <laughs> or at least that's what it came to mean because of Jacob. And the man says, uh-uh, your name now is going to be Israel. You've strived, you've striven with God, and with men, and now you've prevailed through prayer. Israel means he who struggles with God. And this new name that Jacob is given, uh, Israel, he who struggles with God, uh, announces Jacob's true and new identity. It marks his fundamental change in direction. He's always struggled, but there, now there's a new orientation to his struggle. Now it's a struggling with God through prayer. That's the breakthrough. That's the new thing. So when you hear the name Jacob, it's Jacob, uh, Israel, sorry. It's people who struggle with God and man, not through their own human strength, but through prayer. It's spiritual strength, not human strength. You have struggled with God and man, and you've won, but it was through prayer that you won. And Jacob says, please tell me your name. And the man says, why do you ask my name? 
and he blesses Jacob. And then Jacob knows and he calls the place Peniel, which means the face of God. Because he says, I have seen God face to face and my life is somehow spared. And verse 31, the sun rose up upon him and as he passed Peniel, he's limping because of his hip. Jacob has done business with God and God has humbled him. And ambition is a vice when it's wrongly directed. But it can become the mother of a virtue. (laughs) Jacob's ambition, his vice, has now been sanctified through prayer and has become his virtue. So far, Jacob's whole life has been grasping for the blessing, for himself, under his own steam, high-handedly through deception and the playing of power games and cheating. And he's wanted to realise his own destiny in his own way. He was too self-willed and too proud to allow God to give him the blessing. But now he has a sincere and undivided commitment to God blessing him. (laughs) So if Abraham is a study of faith, Jacob is a study of spiritual strength through prayer. The man who was prayerless and who caused so much trouble and so much sorrow and so much anguish is now changed in a new kind of struggle. His ambition hasn't changed. He still wants the blessing. But the way he's going about it has completely and utterly changed. And Jacob's limp is the posture of faith. It's not in physical strength, but in spiritual strength that we see the victories. It's holding on to God in prayer. And we're victorious, but we're left with a limp. We limp in our victory. It's an amazing story. And in chapter 33, verse 1, Jacob looks up, which signals that this is God's providence at work. When when we see in the text, somebody looks up. Jacob looked up and there was Esau with his 400 men. And Esau keeps, sorry, Jacob keeps his loved ones in the rear, safe from potential harm. And here we see the new Jacob. Marching out in front, unafraid. He's done business with God. Now he is ready to face whatever happens. He's not cowering with fear. God has prepared him. And Jacob bows down to Esau. He doesn't hold on to the blessing that he stole from Esau through his deception which was that Esau, that's the blessing, isn't it? That Esau would bow down 
to Jacob. No, Jacob now bows down to Esau. He gives it all up. He's a man who is now free. He humbles himself before Esau. He bows seven times. And he's approaching Esau like a vassal approaches a lord. The solemnity, the bowing, the submissive way of addressing Esau, the presentation of gifts in homage. But Esau ignores it all (laughs) and just greets Jacob like a brother. And it's a tremendous scene as Esau runs to meet Jacob. And Jacob doesn't know whether Esau has a sword. And Esau runs to him and embraces him and says, Welcome home, brother. And Esau has forgiven Jacob. And so he greets him in the normal way that you would greet a brother. He throws his arms around Jacob's neck and kisses him and they weep. And then Esau looks up and sees the women and children. Who are these? (laughs) And Jacob says, they are children God has graciously given me. Jacob attributes it all to God's grace. And then Leah and Rachel and the children come and bow down to Esau. And three times it says that Esau and Jacob are reconciled. And in verse 11, when Jacob says to Esau, please accept the present that was brought to you. Literally, the Hebrew is, please accept the blessing that was brought to you. And in a sense, this is a gesture of Jacob giving the blessing back to Esau. He's free. He's giving it all back. Take it. It's yours. Jacob is free in God's grace. He humbly gives up his blessing to Esau so that Esau will be reconciled with him. And later in the story of God, God will give up his son who humbly gives up the blessings of his equality with God in order that we would be reconciled with him. He gives it all up. He lets it go. Only then to be given it all back with the resurrection and ascension. And this is the way of God, modelled to us by Jesus Christ, glimpsed here by what now Jacob is able to do. The new Jacob is giving it all up. He has spiritual strength. And in that he receives the blessing back. And this is a journey of Jacob stealing the blessing, only to give it back, only then to find it. In that very act. And the blessing comes to us and everything associated with the blessing of God comes to us not by grasping, not by holding on to it in our own strength. 
It comes to us by holding on to God through prayer and him freely giving it to us. There are so many implications for, for our lives here. And this is the name Israel that we're seeing demonstrated. This will be the defining characteristic of the people of God. Those who struggle with God in prayer. And then in chapter 35, Jacob returns to Bethel, to the stone where he first met God. And God meets him there and gives him again the name Israel and repeats the promises again. Uh, that what God had said to Isaac and before Isaac, that what God had said to Abraham, he says to Jacob, be fruitful and multiply. Jacob is the new Adam. A nation and a community of nations will come from him and kings will come from him. And the land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I give to you. And Jacob sets up a pillar in that place and pours the drink offering on it like he'd done on the way out of the land. And he calls the place where God has spoken to him Bethel. This story is about the presence of God in order to fulfill the promises of God in order ultimately to fulfill the purposes of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the life of Jacob and how it, it so parallels our own life and we see so many lessons here for us. And it's exciting that we can have the blessing, that you do answer our prayers, that we can come to you and we can hold on and we can cling to you and that we don't need to grasp and we don't need to deceive and we don't need to do power games, but rather that we can humble ourselves and look to you alone as the one who can simply give us everything that we need. And we ask, therefore, that we would be people of prayer, that we would do the battle through prayer, that we would stand in your strength and your power and your grace and that there would be great freedom for us, therefore, in how we relate to this world and to our lives as we approach so many crises that we would cling to you boldly in faith and see your blessings flow. In your son's name, amen.